All right. Is it, is it going to be one of those Sundays? <laughs> if you're afraid if you speak out, I'm going to send you to Tanzania. <laughs> you are correct. That's right. So you get Baptist quiet as soon as possible. All right. Um, hey, my name's Colby, and I serve as a teaching elder here. This is our missions month, so uh, we don't always hang all the flags around. Uh, but this is a month where, uh, because of our unique calling as a church to join God on mission, uh, we just try to yearly take some space, circle the wagons, and all get on the same page about why we exist as a church. And uh, in case you wondered, this church does not exist to be uh, your version of a free country club. All right, This church is a battleship that has purposes created by a king to accomplish certain goals. And so, uh, we just, uh, we want to go all in on that, uh, whether that begins here domestically, uh, and it certainly does, and extends to the ends of the earth. And so, uh, we're, we've just been talking about missions, and in particular, uh, because uh, my heart is that we would be well-versed and fluent in the Old Testament I have largely stayed out of the New Testament, and I just want us to see that we're a part of this historic, orthodox, beautiful family that for thousands of years has went along with our Father to put our hands in the soil. That the mission of God did not start in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20 in the Great Commission. The mission of God was in the heart of God from the very beginning. And so I don't even have to go to the New Testament to show us missions. I can, I can camp in the Old Testament. And so I did that last week, uh, beginning with Abraham. And, are, and I'm trying to explain from us, from a biblical perspective, uh, God's heart. Now, uh, just kind of as a lead-in, um, and maybe an uh, appetizer. Yeah, it's the cheese sticks of the sermon. Chips and salsa, well, you're so full from it, you don't even pay attention and you go to sleep <clears throat> somewhere maybe three quarters through. Am I right, Ron, Ronnie? You, oh, he's holding the baby. He, you stay awake. That baby hits the ground. That's bad on so many levels. Um, fell asleep in church and you dropped a baby. Um, okay, so uh, I traveled recently to Michigan and I saw while I was there uh, an Iowa State symbol. And for me, I've, if you know anything about my sermons, I'm from Oklahoma. University of Oklahoma is my uh, idolatry of choice. And football is basically like a cult there, and it's this other thing I'm getting saved from. And so, but I saw Iowa State, and I was like, man, their symbol, like red and yellow. It just seems like, why? You know what I mean? Like the colors looked wrong, and the, it just did not look as cool. And then I started to realize that probably someone from Iowa looks at the OU that I love and that means something to me and is like, that's so dumb. But all of us look at Texas burnt orange and kind of throw up in our mouth a little bit. <laughs> right? So that's kind of shared. When, when you've been to a university like this, what happens is you get a connection there. Like if somebody else has an OU bumper sticker or whatever, you see that thing and you're like, hey, we on the same team. You yell boomer, loaded restaurant, some back, right? If you're from Alabama, they do the roll tide thing, which I have no idea what that means, all right? And so there's these connections where we feel like, um, like we're a part of something and, 
we're unified. But that symbol means absolutely little to people from Iowa. And somebody that is like following like Manchester United in soccer in Europe, they got no idea what's going on. You see this symbol and it means nothing to them. So if, if we bring somebody from Liverpool and we, we drop them in God's country in Oklahoma and we take them there, we could say, here's what this symbol means. This symbol means like it's a university and it's a, it's a place where people learn. It's a place where people grow. It's a pivotal part of people's lives. And more important than anything that has to do with education, we dominate at sports. Right? And we just bring that person in and we begin to describe to them what this symbol means. So that they may know that when we say this thing, we mean this. But apart from that education, apart from that sharing of knowledge, the symbol means like diddly, right? It's empty. Here's what's even better. What's better for us is not to sit down and start to say, here's what the symbol OU means. What you do is you take them to campus. You let them see the great reading room in all of its majesty. See the seed sower, right? You go to Campus Corner and you go to the best restaurants. Then you go to the Palace on the Prairie with like 120,000 insane idiots. And you take them to a game and you let them... In OU, they say this, they touch the glory. Which, if it's, it's just so clear that the language is stolen from church. We're going to let them touch the glory. And you go to the field and you hear the crowd. And You know what's better than even explaining it? Is inviting them to come experience it. What's better than explaining it is inviting them to wade into the water themselves. And then, then it'll completely make sense. Here's what Christianity and its mission is. There's a symbol. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. That stands for that God came as a man entered into human history as a great missionary to seek and save that which is lost. He died on the cross for sins and rose from the grave that we might have new life in Him. And He as a King is coming one day to make all things right. And I can explain that to you from the Bible and from church history and from all the things. But maybe better than all of that is just inviting you to come, come and see. Just come experience it. And you'll, and you'll get it in a way that will change your life. What we do as Christians, we do missions, is we go to the nations so that they may know. You go to your work every day so that they may know. You're a part of your mom's group so that the world may know. You're inviting them in. And so I want to pick up, actually, this is almost like one sermon split between last week and and this week, and I want to pick up exactly where we were at last time. I want to talk about where we're at, and then I want to, I want to talk about worship and singing. Because these are not separate ideas. They know, we want them to know so that they'll worship. Alright, so before we do that, can we just pray and ask God's help just all across the room? Dear Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we come humbly before you asking that you would help us to experience all the meaning that the cross has. That we learn from Jesus, the great missionary, who left the comfort of his position to come save a bunch of wretches like us. God, there's going to be some things that we are going to be invited into today that are going to look too big for us. Remind us that they're not too big for you. We're going to be invited. Some may be here today called into cross-cultural, vocational, lifelong missions. And they're going to be scared to death. But God, we've already sang that we're no longer slaves to fear. We're children taken care of by our Father. And so would you conquer fear in this house? God, you've got conversations that you want to see happen amongst family at Thanksgiving and friends at Thanksgiving. It's going to be as scary as going to North Korea. And so would you give my brothers and sisters in this holiday season boldness to make Jesus the main thing. God, do all of this and empower us by your word. So come and be the teacher and the pastor. Help us in our infirmities and our weaknesses. God, enlighten our minds to understand your word. Because without your Holy Spirit, we can't get it with our level of understanding and education. And so God, come and be the teacher and help us. We pray that in the strong name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. If you've got a Bible, you can open it to Psalm 67, but we're not going to get there anytime soon. Last week, I talked about Abraham, starting in the Old Testament. Abram's name was changed to Abraham by inserting a singular Hebrew letter that stood for the Holy Spirit. Sarah became Sarah by inserting a singular Hebrew letter that stood from the Holy Spirit. And repetitively, if uh, Ty, you got the PowerPoint, we'll go back over this repetitively, what we see in Genesis 12, 17, and 22 is that God, in blessing Abraham, in prophesying about the gospel in the Old Testament, in foreshadowing Jesus in Genesis, had the nations in mind. And I would argue that many times we do not see missions in the Old Testament. Uh, this is my, my take on it because of a dispensational theology that draws a hard line between Israel and the church. And I'm not saying there's not some distinctives between what's happening on the left side and the right side, but largely separating the Old Testament uh, weakened our understanding and our theology. So if we go to Abraham, we can see that missions is not a plan B idea of the New Testament, but it is plan A all along. That is... In Genesis 12, 3, we see that he wants all families of the earth. This is another way of saying people groups shall be blessed. Through the blessing that God is bringing Abraham, he's got in view families in Bangladesh that will be blessed because someone's going to go there and share about the son of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Go to the next one. Um, we went to this one, talking about he's going to be a, f a father of a multitude of nations. Okay, well, how is that going to be? So this idea of nations, and, and I try to maybe help you understand this does not necessarily mean nation states. It means people groups. So like if 
not to go back to Oklahoma, but inside of Oklahoma, we have five, what's called five civilized tribes, which is kind of embarrassing because there's more than five tribes there. I guess they're the uncivilized. Um, but Choctaws, Chickasaws, Seminole, Creek, those are people groups that live inside the borders of Oklahoma. Does that make sense? So get rid of kind of thinking about borders and think about where people groups live. Some countries might have 50 people groups that largely don't mingle with one another. God is about, through the son of Abraham, getting all the nations to come and worship him. And Go to the next one. We see that uh, reiterated, that in your offspring, singular, this is not the people of Israel. This is the one, Jesus Christ, who would come through Israel and through Abraham, through a singular seed or offspring, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, listen to me. If you walked in here and you're not a Christian and you're like, I, like you, you don't got it. As an apologetic, just, just as, I want you to think about something. What other human being has more languages worshiping him right now than Jesus? None. There is no book that is further printed that today in Mandarin Chinese and in tribal languages all across the world, there is going to be people that this seed, this Jesus, they're going to sing to. That this prophecy that all the nations of the earth be blessed, there is not another person who has ever had more nations worship him than Jesus. So riddle me that, Batman. Like, talk to me about that. That God said it and it's happening. Right? That there could, I mean, people that live under communist countries and republics and democracies, like the Swedes, makes no sense. All that snow they got. Right? Okay, so between that prophecy, go to the next one, and the end of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation, we see God saying, not only did I promise and command it to be so, but in the book of Revelation, he rips back the curtain of time and shows it as it is finished. Okay? So, I saw in the throne of heaven a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. So somewhere between Abraham and Revelation, where they're going to worship the Lamb at the great throne of God, That's where you're at. That's where you're at. You are somewhere, you're not at the beginning. And you're not at the end. We are, we are the middle children here to do God's work. This is the church age where we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's where you're at in history. That's where we stand. Okay, so uh, did anybody actually grow up in a real Baptist church? Maybe they have this outside Baptist churches. I'm not sure. There's like two of you. Good. This illustration will not work. Um, do y'all remember in small Baptist, they used to have what's called the scoreboard. You know that thing that used to tell you what the offerings were? Which is kind of weird because if it goes real down, you're like, ooh, last week's sermon must not have been great. But they have like what the offering last week was, and then they compare what the offering was a year ago. That's scary, right? We got rid of the scoreboard as soon as we could here at this church. Um, 
Then they had attendance last year, attendance this year, and that it was like on a crest. I mean, it was really nice. Like some grandfather hand carved the scoreboard, and it was right up here. Some of you are looking really confused at me. There's this thing where they would just put up these random numbers about attendance and stuff on the side. Never got it, and I just called it the scoreboard, all right? And it helped because you kind, of, you kind of figured out where the church is at. If it took a nosedive, they would quit updating it, right? And so I want to give a little bit of an update of, okay, if, if we're between Abraham and Revelation, where are we going? Where are we at right now? And I thought Penny did a great job last week giving a little bit of this information. Amongst the world, there's this language that missiologists use called the unreached. And here's a working definition. I encourage you to go to imb.org last week, finishingthetask.org, and joshuaproject.net. Those three are at the end of this slideshow. We'll put them up in a minute. I want everybody in our church to visit those three websites uh, before the end of November. Okay? And they will be up on our website, and you'll see videos from them and stuff. Great resources. Some of the handouts and stuff that's up here about people groups. Uh, It's so much information. It's beautiful to walk through it with your kids. Okay, so a definition of who is the unreached. An unreached or at least or least reached people is a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group without outside help. All right, so if you'll go to the map, uh, Tyrell. Uh, the next slide, kind of give you an idea of, of the earth. This plate, these are the people groups in the world. Anybody want to venture a guess as much as Joshua Project can understand the best data we have? Anybody want to venture a guess of how many people groups there are in the world? Okay, that's a little high. That's closer, a little higher, 17,400 people groups. That's our job. Jesus said in Matthew 24, a lot would understand this, that the gospel will be preached to the whole world and then the end will come, right? Anybody heard that verse before? The gospel will be preached to the whole earth and then the end will come. What's ironic about so many people times theology, they're not talking about taking the gospel to the nations. What they're talking about is that their politician didn't get elected, so the Antichrist is coming with hell in a handbasket, right? When we talk about the end times, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to be talking about Matthew 24 and taking the gospel to the nations. Because Jesus says the gospel got to go to the nations before the No matter how bad America gets. Are we tracking? So 17,400, that's your job. Here's how many people groups that Joshua Project would say are left. 7,400. That's 7,400 that they consider unreached. That's on the scoreboard. Church, that's what we got to take down. We got to take 7,400 and move that number to zero. We want to take it where there is no people group, language, or tribe that doesn't have a church family like this church family. The problem is, is that many churches, just like many Christians, they don't know Jesus themselves, and so they can't take Jesus anywhere because they don't have him in their own hearts. 
Their faith is not worth exporting. It's worth quarantining. The most liberal and awful versions of Christianity, possibly in the whole world, come from the United States. Where also reside the largest amount of resources to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. 7,400 is a small number. We have 40,000 plus Southern Baptist churches alone. Like, Tammy, I'm not a mathematician, but we ought to be able to get a hold of that. You know what I mean? But here's the problem. Overwhelmingly, 90% of the resources that exist in existing Christian churches, particularly in the West, stay in the West. And of the 7,400 group, looking at the red dots here, they're all in hard places. They're hard to reach, hard to get to, hard languages to learn. And I've said this to you before, church, all the easy places are gone. Ain't none but hard places left to go. So this place, this box is called the 1040 window. It's latitude, longitude, 10 and 40. Overwhelming majority of the population of the planet lives in that window. Most of the earth lives there. So of the 7,400 unreached people groups that are left, that's 42.5% of the earth's population. So what we have is, is that there's so many people, like the sheer numbers of people on the earth are increasing at, at, at a more rapid pace than we're planting churches among them. Or reaching them. And so it's complicated. So the total population is 3.2 billion people among that box right there that have no access to the gospel. One thing I've, we've said before is our church cares about all that God cares about. And God cares about all needs. So whether that's a doctor leaving NASA to go be a doctor in East Africa because he cares about the physical needs of people, he just doesn't stop there because none of us would say in this room that are Christians that any physical need we've ever had has been bigger than our gospel need to get our hearts and lives right with Jesus. See, Christians care about all needs, physical and spiritual. And so we go with a holistic approach to help people every way we can. But that right there, that is a target-rich environment for international missions. It's a target-rich environment. That's the scoreboard. Here's, here's my heart and maybe my ambition. I want to put my cards as much on the table as I can. I would love, with all of my heart, that a small church like this come and see one of these 7,400 unreached people groups and we would take one, one tribe off the list. Just one. 7,000 399 because the church sent prayed went all in we, we maybe can't take down 7,000 maybe we can 7,400 but can't we maybe pray about that some point in our church's history we could take one of those off the list I think for us in some ways my heart for Guatemala is it's a stepping stone in that direction. 
That as we do things here, which I love Jim's heart for evangelism here, we share the gospel here, we pray for Colorado, we pray for the United States, and we do missions here domestically, and we go to places even in our Judea, Samaria, in Guatemala, we just keep going until maybe we're a church that goes to the ends of the earth ourselves. I want to be clear with my objective in preaching what I'm preaching today. I want to communicate the need and the biblical, the biblical reality in such a way that the Holy Spirit might use the word to call from among us here like he did those at Antioch to be sent. Here's what I'm saying. I'm talking to you. That for some of you, you're going to see this need and say, that's where I want to re- leverage the rest of my life for the glory of God. I, uh, I think there's some obstacles to that. Um, I heard a sermon on this, and I'm going to butcher it, uh, and I don't even remember who, who said it. But they said that at every phase of your life, there are unique obstacles. Like when you're young, like say you're in your teens and 20s, mostly it's like lust, and you're just chasing your tail, and you don't know what's important. And so you, you, you have unique temptations that come to like a 17 and a 27-year-old that are just different to a 38, 48, and 58-year-old. And a lot of times we don't understand that what it takes for you to follow Jesus as a young person, like it changes. Like and I'm, I'm getting into that where I'm in the middle stages of my life. And in the early stage of my life, you're building, you're creating, you're, you're getting education, you're, 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 you're chasing these things. It's like, as they always say, youth, uh, what is it? youth is wasted on the young. And you're doing all that. Then you get into the middle stages of your life and you get, s- anybody else feel this? You get settled. And you're there. And you're, a lot of the things that you did in your 20s, the education, you know, your, your job and your career, it built momentum into your 30s and 40s and maybe a little bit beyond. And, and you get to enjoy the fruits of your education and your work and the things that you've, you've accomplished. You start having kids and you, you, you have a mortgage and a savings account and you have things going on. And there is a unique temptation to be comfortable as a Christian where we do not take risks because we've accumulated so much blessing. Just like the people of Israel. And... How often did they, in that blessing, abandon God? They accumulated so much wealth and good that the blessing became a curse. Right? And then, and so I'm into this. And it's not like maybe the lust or the vanity of your youth goes away. You just add to all of that this problem of the American dream on top of it. And now, I I never heard anybody teach me that I needed to grow in Christ such that by the time I get to my age, I can conquer both of those by the power of God. You know what I'm saying? So I ran into it being like, man, it just feels like my, my faith is going to sleep all the time. And if I don't go to God and have it roused, like I could just be like a church attender or something lame like that. Okay, and then, I, I'm not there yet, so I mean, some of y'all with the gray hair, you can tell me. There's this thing about when you get into the later years, 
This brother that was older that shared this with me, he said there's a huge question of what is your legacy? What will you be remembered for? What do you want the last chapters to say? What do you regret that you didn't get done and you, you just, how are you going to make the last years count? And you have this real sense of like grandkids and great grandkids and the church and your legacy. And, and a lot of people in that stage of life regret how much they worked in their earlier form of life. Because they didn't prioritize family or mission or other things. And so I don't know that. I'm not in the legacy phase yet. But I remember my grandpa talking to me after my grandmother died. And it was a couple years after. And he, he loved Jesus. And he was going to church and doing stuff. And he, and he just said, I just don't know why I'm still here. And we began to dialogue about that. And in his late, latter years, he found renewed purpose in our family and in our community because he had to kind of like recalibrate because he wasn't in a building phase and his wife was gone and he's got to he's got to think about the last years and making them count you might talk you might try so let, let me say this do you understand that there's obstacles inside of us keeping us from going on mission with god scary stuff and probably none are more dangerous than our wealth and our comfort and our ease of life. So here's the thing. My vision is that we would go on mission so that others may know such that they may come to worship the God that we find joy in worshiping. Let's see that from the text. Go to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. Psalm 67 says ex almost exactly they're singing what God said he would do to Abraham. They're singing about it. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. We have face-to-face -face intimacy with our God. He is not a detached watchmaker we have face-to-face -face intimacy with our God. May he be gracious. Grace is in the Old Testament. May he be gracious and bless us so that we might spend all the blessings on ourselves. Is that what your Bible says? Help me out here. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine on us so that your way may be known on the earth. Your saving power among the nations. Really? Let me so, this is Old Testament, y'all. Let me so know your grace so that the whole earth, all the nations of the earth, may know about your saving power. Let me put it to you this way Our forefathers and foremothers in the faith came to church, Dave, and they sang about the nations. Not that God's blessing was meant to terminate on them, but God's blessing came to them so that God's blessing might go through them to the ends of the earth. The nations was always in view of our God. I said this last week when the same exact idea is communicated to Abraham that you are blessed in order to be a blessing. And I've never seen 
a healthy Christian that was self-centered. That took all of their attention, spent all of their thoughts and imagination and time and energy on themselves. If you do that, it is toxic for your soul. You are not created by God to be narcissistic spiritually. Instead, the same way that's true for a Christian who would take all their time, money, resources, and attention and spend it on themselves, churches that do that are exactly the same kind of toxic, unhealthy. This is why for us, we, I was talking to Ronnie in between the meet and greet, we cannot figure out we're going, to keep to, we're going to keep working at it till we figure out how we can give away the most. We were talking about giving away more money to ministries and missions at the meet and greet. Our church, I just believe, God blesses a church that, that sends it into gospel activities. Like I hope that next year, by some miracle, we raise a million dollars and then we just turn around and we give a million dollars to missions. That is our church's mentality. How can we give more of this to advance the kingdom? And I just believe from these verses, God blesses that, y'all. And the more that we hoard that we don't need, it's dangerous for us. If you don't believe that, attend a business meeting anywhere on the earth. All right? We just got to give it away, y'all. We are blessed to be a blessing. Look at verse 3. You might have heard this from a song that we sing here. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. How are they going to praise Him? They're going to praise Him because God's grace is going to come to the gospel community and it's going to go through them. They're going to know about His saving work and because they know about the saving work of God, they are going to respond in worship. We do not stop Doing missions until every nation praises our God. Knowledge is not the end. Worship is the end. Until they find the reason for their being. The completion of their soul. Such that they respond in exuberant praise to the God who made them. Thou hast made us for Yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in Thee. Until people find their Creator, they do not give the worship to the One whom it is owed. It terminates on idols. That's true of Durango, and that's true of Nepal. We rescue souls from idolatry. We rescue souls from low forms of earthly pleasure and we invite them to experience the highest forms of pleasure in God. You do the nations a favor by preaching the gospel. Let the nations, listen to this language, let the nations be glad. There will be joy Amongst the 7,400 unreached people groups. There will be soul exalting joy among them. Because somebody went and preached. 
Somebody went and loved. Somebody went and cared. Do you see missions as primarily a joy-spreading endeavor? If it's not, you don't have biblical missions. Are you tracking? We go for their gladness. Let the nations sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity, and you guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the people, peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, and God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let the, all the ends of the earth fear him. It ends with this idea that as we have harvested good things in our life and God has provided for us so that we might be so blessed that it's going to turn into something that's great for others, not just great for us. Isn't that awesome? That's your Old Testament. Um, you may think this is exclusive to this text. I promise you it's not. Uh, go to the next slide. I want, I want to look at just a little bit of survey. I just want to reinforce that this is an uh, all-over-the-Bible thing. So you may not have ever been in church, but you know about David and Goliath, right? So David, uh, 1 Samuel 17, 43-45, David said to the Philistine, Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. You know, I've been in Sunday school a long time, and I never heard that verse. I'd love to see that flannel graph. I'm just putting it out there. All right? This is what... We- Men, this is what we call godly trash talk. This very day, I will give your carcasses of the Philistine armies to the birds and the wild animals. And, there it is, the whole world, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Now, I think the first primary point of David and Goliath is about how Jesus has conquered our greatest enemy. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. But do you see that in that conquering, that God had his glory and worship and the nations in mind? We go to spread his fame everywhere that the whole world may know. Go to the next one. I mean, if David, you know, Tim Tebowing and defeating an enemy and being on ESPN, da-da-da, da-da-da, Right? If that one it, like, is not enough, maybe this one. Uh, Solomon uh, uh, built the temple, and God's word told him to do that. Likewise, when a foreigner, somebody on the outside, who is not of your people Israel, comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays towards this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all of that which the foreigner calls to you. This is Solomon praying over the dedication of the temple for pagans hearing about God, trusting Him, such that they pray towards Him. And he's saying, answer His prayer, God. All to which the foreigner calls to you, look at this, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel. Answer their prayers so they get saved just like us. 
Anybody ever read that before in the dedication of the, the temple? That the temple, which is primarily about Jesus, the temple that would be destroyed in three days and three days rise again. Jesus says he is the better temple, right? The temple is primarily about Jesus, but it has the nations in view. So that all the peoples of the earth might know. Go to the next one. Moses. Uh, not talking about Bill Wehmer back there or Charlton Heston, the real one. Moses, with the plagues, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Notice the freedom that we experience in the gospel is so that we might serve and worship God. For this time I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. You ain't got gods like this God. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence. And you would have been cut off from the earth. He's like, I could have already smoked you. But verse 16. But this, doing things the way that I'm doing this. But this, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power. For me, it's always in Samuel Jackson's voice. I don't know why, okay? So that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Do you know that God did the exodus the way that God did the exodus? For the sake of his glory among the nations. One more. Go to the next one. I think this is a standalone psalm in Psalm 67. We could go to Psalm 96, which says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Which I love the old hymns, but we should constantly be writing new songs. Amen. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth, not just my people huddled together somewhere. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory only amongst other Christians. Is that what it says? Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the people. See, we've got 7,400 of them that we have yet to declare His glory among. Verse 5, for all the gods of the people are worthless idols. Verse 7, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Verse 10, say among the nations the Lord reigns. We go to spread a kingdom where we say that the king reigns. Think about this. They sang this when they gathered. They sang about God's glory. And they sang about God's mission. So I was in France, and we worked with refugees while we were there. And we did some church planting things. And uh, one of the neat, there's just thousands of people, some from actually these unreached people groups that were just traveling across France, trying to get to England, because England had kind of this odd policy. Basically, if you got there, you got all the social benefits. So they weren't necessarily trying to stop in France, so they made these massive refugee camps with just thousands of people living in cardboard boxes and tents and whatever they could find. So a lot of the Christians, which ironically were the ones primarily helping the Muslims, they were feeding them. It's cold in France, trying to get jackets and different things. So a lot of the churches were meeting the physical needs so that these um, migrants, thousands and thousands of people, would be taken care of in like the winter in France. And one of the things that they did that I thought was really curious 
was uh, one of the churches we partnered with just took like Christians with musical instruments and guitars and box drums and fiddles and just whatever they had, just all kinds of different stuff. And they were out there distributing stuff in the middle of a refugee camp. And I, I know many of you have probably never been in one, but it's about as big of a picture of hell on earth as you can imagine. Just chaos, people stealing from each other. Lots of, you can have theft, murder, rape. I mean, just, it's awful. There's kind of a lawless area that even in the midst of a, a very legalistic country like France, you just have this thousands of people living in a, a self-made ghetto in hell on earth. And these Christians would take all these instruments as they were serving these people, and they would just worship. And they'd go to the middle of the refugee camp. And they, for hours, they'd just sing songs. And they just praise God. They just love on God in front of them. They would pray for the people around them. And for Muslims that have come, and many of them never met a Christian person before. And their first experience meeting Christians was that these are the people more than Muslims that were in France that were coming out to make sure my kids are fed. And make sure that my wife had a coat. And these people, their religion isn't just ritual of pray five times. They, they love their God. And it was just this incredible witness for them to worship in front of the lost. I think, church, that's exactly what we're called to do. We're called to find hell on earth and to sing to God in front of the nations and invite them in to experience it. And let me say, our good works are never going to be a replacement for preaching, praying, and singing. I love good works. Good works back up what we do. By all means, don't be a thief, a murderer, an adulterer, or a liar because it's going to undermine your witness. By all means, good works, they, they co-sign. They yes and amen what we're preaching. But they're never going to replace, as Romans chapter 10 says, declaring to the nation God's way and His salvation. One last story, and then uh, maybe we'll finish here. Um, so there's construction downtown Durango, right? It takes forever to get through on that one road. And I don't know that they've made it better. They just basically made it where you can't do legal stuff, right? Illegal stuff crossing over on that road is what makes traffic continue, all right? From all appearances, all this road construction is going to make it worse, all right? So you got that to look forward to. But it's awful, and... You know, we, we got a lot of tourists, so the merge lane thing, you get a lot of different cultural interpretations of what the merge lane and how that works. Some people going right down to the arrow sign, being like, sorry, not sorry, cutting in. Some people know it's coming, and it's like a mile back. They're like, oh, I'm going to get in the appropriate lane. So, you know, and some people texting and driving don't even know what's happening, okay? But it's like a bottleneck, and if you're coming from like downtown, y'all know what I'm talking about? And you're trying to get on to the main road that they're doing construction on. You are completely at the mercy of this train of cars. Right? So you can see three or four cars backed up in the direction of downtown trying to get in. Right? And some people let them in. Me, I try to look and see if they got the coexist bumper sticker before I decide. Right? I see burn orange Texas, you can wait, all right? California plates, sorry, all right? 
I ain't trying to be, I don't want my car near California plates because I don't want to take it down to Doug's auto body, okay? But it's funny, you come in and you come into this merge area and if you let people in, a lot of times you have to like wave at them. And so this is kind of a wave with all the fingers, right? And so you like trying to wave them in. And a lot of times, you know, they kind of wave back. And you're in a car, they're in a car, there's no way to communicate. Even though oftentimes I thought it's been a great idea, if I just had some sort of like teleprompter where I could type something and say something to people, it would, Tesla's going to make it happen, people, all right? You just, some, I could say some unchristian, probably share the gospel with them right there, sort, sort of thing. But here's the thing, say my good works. I pause, and there is a University of Texas, Californian, coexist bumper sticker person that needs to get in and I like let them in in front of me right and as they see me like do they know anything about that I'm a Christian because I let them in on that traffic how about this what what if I wave at them well that let them know the reason why I gave up being on time to let what if I beauty pageant wave it's wave you know what I'm saying what if I go full Pee Wee Herman, and I mean, I just wave, I wave like, I'm going to go hard on the wave. Well, that person, you know what, there's, will that communicate to them that it's the love of Christ where I put the, them before myself? No. Matter of fact, it'll confuse them. The rest of the day is like, that dude waved real hard to me. How do I know that? It's like. I, I don't know where I know that guy from, but he waved like we were cousins. Listen, the glory of God and the gospel of God have to be declared. We have to get out of our little bubble and get into their little bubble. We've got to break down barriers and we've got to communicate the truth of Jesus with our words. Here's the beauty. The beauty of the gospel is that God left heaven and he came near. He came near that we might know him. He came near that we might know him. And there will be no taking of the 7,400 people groups off of the list without somebody leaving here to go there to declare the glory of God and sing among the nations, to give them knowledge that might give them an invitation that they might experience God and worship him. Do you understand? And that's going to mean that at some point, likely, somebody from our church who we love will have to leave and go somewhere else. We will have to say a gospel goodbye and kick them out so that they could go. This may mean that some of you parents that are raising kids right now, you got a wild one and you don't need to domesticate them. They were meant to be wild and just wild for Jesus. And you need to give them a view of the nations that says that God can use your wildness. Listen, young people, God can use your wildness to do great things for the kingdom. I have friends that were in my church or in my college ministry that likely many I will never see again this side of heaven. They are going to die in Muslim countries. I have friends that are not hunting deer right now. When they came home, they, they killed, a, they're, they're wearing loincloths and they used a beaver skin that they killed 
And that's theirs as they go upriver of the Amazon. And we will probably never meet again this side of heaven. I have an old church lady that was in our church, gray-haired, single. Not partially gray, all the way. She just let it go. And she decided that with her last decade, she's going to move to a remote island that needed to hear about Jesus. And she wasn't too old. She just went. I'm, I've got friends that are rural people living in mega cities in Asia. And they, and they don't like cities. I know you get that, all right? But you know what they love? They love God's glory and they love people. And so they, they live in a place they don't want to live. And they do things they oftentimes don't want to do because they love God's glory and they love people. Some of us, I think we terminate our desires on hobbies. And I, I, more than anything, I say this to myself, even as I pursue 10,000 hobbies, is that I was just created for more than You like mountains? Russia's got mountains. Right? They may even got more snow than us right now. You love adventure? You like to camp? Boy, have I got an idea for you. You love raising your kids in front of lost people? We found out that actually the way we raised our kids was one of the greatest tools we ever used overseas. So here's the thing. Will you be a goer or a sender to be a part of what God's doing in the nations? Let me pray for you and then we're going to sing because it just seems appropriate, right? He's good for it. Let's pray. If you're here and you'd say that maybe you've never trusted Jesus in your heart and you yourself have not experienced that joy in Him and you yourselves are a foreigner outside the kingdom and you want to know the King, the Bible says that all that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He is the one who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave. And if you will trust Him, He will give you new life in Him and a purpose and a meaning that's so much bigger than yourself. But maybe you're also here and you're a Christian and this has been for you. And you're feeling a calling on your life to taking one of these people groups off the board. And so that's two different types of people in this room. And I want to pray for both of you and I want whatever God, the Holy Spirit is telling you to do, you do it. Dear Heavenly Father, we enter your courts with thanksgiving and your presence with praise. And we join now the nations who are coming before your throne. But God, we mourn and we're burdened because all the nations are not joining us right now. And so our heart aches. God, use us for the task that remains to be done. Use this church, our prayers, our resources, our sending, our going, for eternal purposes that you have for us. God, if there's one here that doesn't know you, hasn't surrendered to you, hasn't trusted you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation and that for the first time they would sing 
to your glory with a heart full of faith. And God, I pray for those that are wrestling right now as they stand on the edge of the boat ready to walk on water in front of something that seems unreasonable, undoable, and scary. God, call people to your work at the ends of the earth and empower us here in Jerusalem with the local work and with the sending of them. God, I pray for great things to be done in this church. And I pray in the name of Jesus, everyone said, Amen.